birth of Jacob and Esau. Um, last time we stopped in verse 18 of Genesis 25, where we, we talked about all of Abraham's other kids. Uh, we talked about his new wife, and we talked about his death. Talking about Abraham dying and his sons burying him and, and, all, and all kind of that. And uh, we saw that God passed the blessing down from Abraham to Isaac. And today what we're going to see is the, the birth of the twins. And we're going to see probably one of the saddest, saddest things that you'll see in Scripture. Um, and it was, it was so... Uh, Impactful on me, I guess. I, I preached it in the early service because I couldn't get my mind back on Luke after studying this this uh, this passage. So we'll start in verse 19, and uh, it says, "These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son." Now that we have we've moved on, Abraham is he's just recounted Abraham's death, and so God has moved the blessing, the promise now from Abraham to Isaac. And these are the generations of Isaac. We're entering a new Toledo statement here. You know, we talked about those every time we go past one. Uh, Abraham's son, Abraham begat Isaac. It says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. The daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pedan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. All that is included because that's going to be important in Jacob's life. That's where he runs off to to go and find his wife. Um, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, which means he prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him, means the Lord heard him and Rebekah his wife conceived. Now all of that happens in one verse, really. Verse 21 tells us that whole issue is just in one verse. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord heard him and Rebekah's wife conceived. But we're going to see a little later that Isaac didn't have, Rebecca didn't have Esau and Jacob until Isaac was 60 years old. So in the, in the, in the context of that one verse, it almost makes us feel like, you know, uh, man, my wife's barren. Lord, please let me have a kid. Bang, she got pregnant. There's my kid. God answered. But it was 20 years that he entreated the Lord. It was 20 years that he prayed for a son, that he prayed that his wife would have a son. 20 years uh, that he uh, prayed to God that God would hear him, and then, of course, God did hear him, and 20 years later, he had, a, he had uh, Esau, and uh, he had Esau and, and Jacob. So, God does answer Isaac's prayer, but he answers it, it takes it takes some time by our standards 20 years i mean you can imagine praying for something for 2 or 3 years and then nothing happens praying for something 2 or 3 years and what makes it worse if you're following along in what we've been walking through everybody's having kids right didn't we see that last time? All, Ishmael is having all kids. You know, he's having 12 rulers or is his kids, and they're having a bunch of kids. And then Abraham, after Sarah's death, took another wife, and they start having kids. He's got six more kids and, and ten grandkids, and, and everybody's having children. Everybody except God's promised line. 
Abraham at first is barren. Sarah's barren. No kids for 25 years. Then all of a sudden, Isaac. Now Isaac, the blessing is passed from Abraham to Isaac. And this promise, this blessing we know is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, and so Isaac is the promised son. Now Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is barren for 20 years. So it almost looks like everybody in, everybody in the whole family, everybody in the extended family, everybody in the nations is having kids and having bunches of kids except for the promised line. Why is, why is the promised line always the ones that are barren? You're going to see it again in, uh, in uh, Jacob and you're going to see it in Hannah if you keep worried read the Old Testament. You're going to see it even in Elizabeth in the New Testament. This is John the Baptist. Why is it that God's working through something like that? Why is it everybody's having kids and then but the one line that God promised would be more numerous than the stars of the sky or not? It's showing how miraculous it was because Jesus' birth was miraculous of a virgin, so... Right. And, and that... It's not of a virgin, but they were all barren, so God had an that's the point. That's the point. Is the point is takes time. Huh? Perfection takes time. <laughs> I tell my parents that all the time. I tell Dana that all the time. Uh, the the point is just like just like we have said over and over again, it is God that is going to do this. God is not going to allow man to uh, say, "Well, you, you just got it because you're Abraham's kid. You got it because you God is going to miraculously bring forth that you're going to see it over and over again even in Jacob and Esau because Esau is really the heir because he's the firstborn but God's going to give it to Jacob God's going to give it to Jacob the second born the the second born and so God is making sure that we all know and especially through the scriptures as it teaches us that this promise and this blessing comes by his hand it comes by his doing it doesn't come by by man or just because I'm a certain from a certain family or from descended from a certain whatever it comes because of God's hand and and God's blessing so Abraham uh, Isaac pray what struck me I probably need to hurry up if I'm gonna get to the end of this deal but what struck me was when Abraham and Sarah were barren for 25 years what did they do to try to fix the situation they brought in Hagar. They brought in Hagar and had Ishmael messed everything all up. They were trying to help God along. But you think Isaac, you know, Isaac had to have heard the story because he got a brother named Ishmael. They helped bury Abraham. And so I, I, Isaac's probably has heard the story of how they... He doesn't follow in his father's mistake. What does he do for 20 years as he's waiting for his child? Praise. He just prays. Praise. Can you imagine what kind of, what kind of, now Isaac's going to have his problems, so I'm not lifting him up as the perfect guy. He's going to have his own issues and everything sinful and all that kind of stuff. But here's one moment where he does, he learns from his father's mistake. He prays for 20 years. 20 years. I mean, I have a hard time, you know, I'm like, you know, if I'm, I lose my keys in the morning, I'm like, God, please help me find my keys. I got to leave, you know, and it's 10 minutes. God, why ain't you answer me? Where are my keys? You know, 15, 20 minutes. I'm, I'm impatient. This guy prayed and was faithful for 20 years waiting on God to fulfill what God said he would do. Because remember, Isaac is the promised seed. He is the one that's supposed to have 
you know, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and all this kind of things. And so he prayed, he prayed. So what it tells me and what it tells you today is that, you know, when God, when you pray, especially if you are in Christ, born again by the Spirit of God, God lives in you. God hears your prayer. He hears your prayer because your prayer is coming through Jesus Christ. God answers. I mean, he may not. He may. It might be yes, no, or it might be wait. But he hears your prayers, even if it takes 20 years. I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do, what he needs to do to glorify himself. And he's going to do what he needs to do for your good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In Romans eight twenty eight. So it gives me a little. I don't know. It gives me a little uh, confidence, comfort, assurance that, you know, there's things that I'm praying for. I mean, even even now that I just ain't ain't getting no answer. I hadn't heard anything. Still waiting. And it gives me assurance to know that there was a man named Isaac and he was praying for 20 years. He was praying 20 years. God, give me a son. And God never did anything until it was time for him to have that son. And then he had twins. Right? So it says uh, in verse, where are we at? Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of, and then 22 says, And the children struggled together within her. That word struggled, when I looked it up, it means to smash against. It means, I mean, it's not just like, ooh, my belly hurts. It's almost like throwing themselves against each other. They're going to fight for their whole lives. You're going to see them. I mean, they'll, they'll make up when they get older, but they're going to fight for their whole lives. It, it almost looks like they're, they're fighting in the womb together. And so at this point, she doesn't know she's having twins. But it says, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So you can imagine, she's pregnant right now. You know, no sonograms, no, what do they call it, ultrasounds. She doesn't know that she's got twins. All she knows, she's pregnant. And she's hurting. It feels like it feels like elephants are flopping around in there. You know, whatever. I, y'all know what that's like. I don't know. It. I mean, okay, never mind. But so she goes to inquire of the Lord. She's going. She's going to the right place, seeking the right. You know, God, why am I like this? I've been waiting twenty years. I mean, you ever felt like it, God? I have been waiting 20 years. We've been praying and praying and praying for a child. And finally, you answer my prayer. And here I am pregnant. And it's just pain and torment. I mean, there's there's issues that go along being pregnant anyway. This was like serious. They were they were twins struggling together in the womb. And, and so she goes and almost she asks the Lord, why? Why would why did you even let me get pregnant if this is what it's going to be like? She said, if it be so, why am I thus? Why am I like this? Why, why did you even allow me to be pregnant if this is what's going to happen? She's thinking something's wrong. She's thinking something's bad is happening. And God answers her. And he says, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from the bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay? So he lets her know, hey, good luck. You got twins. <laughs> what do you think Rebecca did? She probably cried just like y'all would. Does anybody have twins in here? Nobody? You got twins? Did you cry when you found out you had twins? <laughs> I, I, I was almost unconscious when I found out. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. We, 
You know, because twins run in her family, and somebody said that when we we had Sophie kind of late. You know, we'd already had two boys, and we had her kind of late, later than we wanted to. And I mean, later in life, you know. What am I trying to say? We were old. We, we were old. We were old when we had Sophie. And somebody said something about twins, and we was like, oh, no. Because, I mean, I can imagine, I mean, Dana's going to have a hard time with twins because you know, she's going to be doing, she's going to be having a diaper two of them at the same time and everything. We, we had, that's, that's how it worked. I'm honest. Yeah, I'm honest. No, she, we, we got married. She says, we're going to have kids. How many kids do you want? I said, you can have as many as you want as long as you take care of them. <laughs> He said he said it with every pregnancy too. He reiterated. Oh. <laughs> now, when they get this bit, now let's be fair. Now, when they get when potty they get trained. when they get potty trained around that age, now I'm all good. But like, Don't you really? Yeah, I'm changing the diapers and all. I changed a few diapers. That anyway. Back to the lesson. <laughs> I did. I kept Jacob. You'd go to work, and I'd have to take him to daycare before I went to work. Yeah, see, I, pretty good fellow. <laughs> All right, so the older is going to serve the younger. She finds out. I got twins. I got twins, and... And having babies during that time was scary. I mean, it wasn't like today where you have a, a horde of people that are professionals. I mean, it was a, you know, sometimes it was life or death. And oh, yeah. No medicine. Had, yeah, it's all natural. It's all natural, and it's not in the hospital. Yeah. No, not me. So, any, anyway. Yeah, not me. I'm at, if I was to have a baby, if I was a woman, I'd want as, you, at the moment that I'm able to get something, you better be have it here in hand. I'm not doing no natural. Forget that. I'm allergic to pain. Okay, yeah, you're right. I ain't going to finish. All right. He tells her that the twins are going to be fathers of nations and that these nations were going to be divided against each other. That's the word separated there. They're going to be divided against each other. And then he tells her something amazing. The younger is going to be the preeminent one. The elder is going to serve the younger. And what we're seeing here is Paul uses this argument here in Romans chapter 9. If you want to go and read that sometime, I'll, I'll read it to you here real quick. But what he's showing is that it is God who determines who his people are. It's not determined by birth or bloodline or anything like that. Uh, we're going to see that here in a minute. Uh, it's not, it's Paul uses that in Romans chapter 9 when he's talking about the Jewish nation. He says, oh, I want them to be saved and I want them. Uh, Romans chapter 9 verse 6 through 13. Let me just read it to you. This is Paul's argument. And he uses this uh, story as an example, he says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. He's saying not that the promises have failed. He says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham. Are they all children talking about children of God? But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. He says, God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. Uh, shall, and that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. That's what he was saying about Isaac's birth. And not only this, here's the story, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one... 
Even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. It was said to her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What he's saying there, what he's showing them is, it is he is telling the, the Jewish nation there in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's saying, don't think just because you're the Jewish nation that you've got it all going on and that God is pleased with you and you're happy. You need to understand it's God who decides who his people are. And of course, we know that is those in Christ. And that's what Paul's point is there. So what we're seeing here is God really usurps Esau. He has the birthright. He is going to be the firstborn. God usurps that and gives it to Jacob uh, because he wants us all to know. And Paul uses this, uh, uh, this as an example that it is God's prerogative uh, to uh, give the promise. The promise doesn't come by who you're born from. It doesn't come by just because mom and daddy's a Christian and I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, that doesn't convey Christianity onto you. It's a supernatural work of God whereby you are born again uh, by the power of God. It doesn't come from birth or lineage or location or geography or anything like that. It comes from a supernatural work of God. And so he says the elder is going to serve the younger. And we're going to see that played out in their lives right here. It says the elder is going to serve the younger. And it says, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, let me hurry up just a little bit. Behold, there were twins in, the room, in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. Esau in Hebrew means hairy. And that's why, so they named him Harry. Yay, Harry. And after that came out his brother, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. The word Jacob in Hebrew sounds like the word for heal. It actually is a derivative of the word God is going to protect. God will protect or protect. Uh, but it later became uh, deceiver or heel grabber or to mean mean that kind of thing. Uh, so they called him Jacob and Isaac was three score years old when she bore him. How old was Isaac when she bore him? Three score is 60 years old. 60 years old when he had the twins. Now, it's almost like they were fighting coming out of the womb, wasn't it? Esau comes out all hairy and red, and the hand pops out and grabs his heel. Okay, okay, you got that. Grabs his heel. like, I, you're not going to come out first. I'm going to come out first. You know, of course, that's just, they're just babies. You know, that's what's going on. But that's the picture that it conveys. Now, here's the thing that I wanted to get to. Here's what I want you to see. And here's the point of the lesson that I wanted you to get across to you today. Uh, it's not that, it's not that Esau was, oh, I love God and God, please just choose me. And God's like, nope, not going to do it. Uh, Jacob's the one and you're not. I don't care. Esau did not give a rip about spiritual things or spiritual blessings or promises from God or anything like that. You see this played out in his life. It says, and the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Now, what I want you to see here is what, what I'm going to show you is Esau is going to sell 
his birthright. And you probably already know the story. He sells his birthright for a bowl of stew, basically, a bowl, bowl of stew. He doesn't, value his, he doesn't value his birthright at all. He doesn't value the promises of God at all. But what I want you to see as we walk through these verses uh, is that on the outside, Esau has everything going for him. He has every advantage. He has everything that you, you would look at this guy and you would say, that, my friend, is God's chosen man right there. Everything going for him. But the problem is his heart. His heart is not with God. His heart is not for God. His heart is, the writer of Hebrews calls it profane. We'll see that in a minute, which means ungodly. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about it. So what I want you to see is today, you can look the part, you can act the part, people can look at you and say, whoo, you got it going on and all that good. But if your heart, if your heart is not right with God, then you are not right with God. It doesn't matter what, how you play the game or how you look or how many times you go to church, how many times you walk down the aisle. It's a matter of God changing your heart. So as we look at that, yes, sir. <clears throat> wouldn't, Isaac, wouldn't Isaac already know that Jacob was the chosen one? That's a good question. Some why, say yes uh, and some say no. Because why would Jacob have to deceive him in order to get it to put on the hairy garments and everything? Right. That That's a good question. There's some that say, we don't know for sure, but some say that Rebecca never told anybody because God gave, you know, the elder shall serve the younger to Rebecca. Uh, and so you're going to, that's a good point that we're going to see as we walk into that. Isaac, either one of two things, I, either Isaac is ignorant and he, Rebecca never told him, which I kind of doubt. Or Isaac is going to say here in a minute, he loved Esau and he just decided, I'm going to rebel and I'm going to give it to Esau. I don't care what God says, you know. And of course, you know what happened. It, it, Jacob had to put on the goat hair and, and did all that. And it, it ended up the way God had uh, foretold it would be. Did but, God hate, Jacob, hate Esau? Yes. The Bible says so in Malachi. I know, and it, you just read it again in mm -hmm. Romans. In Romans. in Romans. Yes. Now, I want you to think of think of it this way. When you say when when you say God hated Esau, um, there are there's some you know Jesus said things like you know the one who comes to me you got to hate his father and mother. Of course, we know that he meant. His love, your love for him is so much that it makes the others look like hate. But the reality is scripture pictures in, in Psalm, I'm going to say 11.5. I'm thinking that's right, uh, right in there somewhere. Uh, it, it talks about God hates wickedness and God hates those who do wickedness and all. Hates hands that shed blood. Hates hands. really the hate that we know about. Well, our hate is almost invariably sinful. Um, there is a hate of evil that is not sinful. Um, righteous indignation. Righteous, yeah, you get righteous indignation. But here's what I want you to see. Whether or not we can, how we classify that kind of hate really isn't the point. Think of it this way. We have such an aversion. The, the amazing thing about when Paul said that, when he was quoting Malachi, actually, that Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The amazing thing is not that he hated Esau. The amazing thing is that he loved Jacob. 
Because if you see Jacob's life, I mean, he's a deceiver. He's deceitful. He, he's trying to get over on it. He is not nowhere near a godly person. He's nowhere near a godly man. Of course, God comes and wrestles with him and changes him, uh, you know, and changes his heart. So the, the amazing thing is that neither one of them deserved anything from God, but God conveyed his blessing on Jacob saying, I'm going to change him. I'm going to give him what, what we call the new heart and, and the, the new life. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I just wonder why he, well, since he's just me studying his stuff, and, you know, why did he choose Jacob over Esau? We'll never know till we get. The only the only reason he does anything for any of us is grace. That's the only thing you can say. There's no Jacob was not a better man. Even in this text, we're going to read Jacob deceives his brother. Jacob later deceives his father. Jacob, I mean, he is not a good man. He's not a. You're thinking why did Jacob love him, but Esau enough? Because I work with a set of twins that are. I mean, they're like 27 years old and still dress alike every day. Oh, no, I'd have to draw the line. About 16 or 17, I think I'd quit dressing alike. Every day. They're both married. They both have children. They dress alike. They drive the same vehicle. They taking each other's breaks and stuff, you know, they're <laughs> coming, coming to work for each other. They work in different departments. Oh, okay. Well, they swap. You won't ever know. Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> But you wonder why Jacob didn't love him enough just to give him something to eat. Now, it was sinful for Jacob not to give, you know, that's the, in the Bible. You know, do take care of your brother. Am I my brother's keeper? If your brother has need, you give it. Yeah, absolutely. Neither one of these boys in this episode that we're going to look at, there is not a good one and a bad one. Both of them are sinful. Both of them. Esau is going to walk in and he's going to say, give me that soup. And you're going to hear the click of the trap. Jacob is setting the trap for him. Sell me your birthright. And I'll give you, and I'll give you some stuff. Neither one of them are clean and pure and perfect in this. Uh, so let's look at this, and then we'll continue that discussion. Uh, Jacob, Esau is born first. And on the outside, Esau looks like he has everything going on. He is strong. He's a hunter. He, it says the boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. I said before, Esau, you would have looked at him. He's a strong mountain man, kind of leader. You know, uh, the, the guy that, you know, the man's man, you would have looked at him and said, that is going to be the next leader of this family. That's going to be the guy. If he was, if I said, this morning, if Esau was out slinging a sweat, sledgehammer, breaking up blocks, Jacob would have been in the house playing Xbox. You know, he's the mama's boy. He's the he's the the one dwelling in the tents. We're gonna see him doing the cooking here in a minute. You know, something the the the, the men did not do. And so Esau looked on the outside like he was the heir. He was the man. He was the man's man. And, but it says in verse twenty eight, it says, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. He ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The other thing Isaac or Esau had going for him was daddy favored Esau. You can, I mean, you can get that in your mind pretty easy. The fact that Esau was daddy's favorite. He's the man's man. You know, he's the hunter. He's the, he's the guy. You know, he was dad's favorite. And dad, Isaac, is the one that conveys the blessing, conveys the inheritance. And the inheritance we're talking about here is not just the camels and the tents and the servants and all that. This inheritance. 
inheritance, remember, it is uh, intertwined with the promise of God. God gave Abraham a promise. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that that is the gospel promise, that one will come, talking about Jesus Christ, that will bless all the nations. And so this came with a promise, and that promise was passed down from the inheritance of Abraham to the inherit to Isaac. And he got the promise. And now you have Esau and Jacob, and one of those two is going to be the heir. And not only is all the stuff, the double portion of the inheritance going to be given, but also that promise, that, that spiritual heritage is going to be given as well to one of these two boys. And we know it's Jacob, but I'm just kind of setting it up for you. Esau looks like the one. He looks like the one, daddy's favorite. Daddy's the one that's going to convey the blessing. And Esau said to Jacob, or no, and it says, uh, let me say one more thing before we read the last few verses. They, Esau knew about the promise. He knew about the promise. He knew about the blessing. He knew about what God had did. How old was Isaac when Esau and Jacob were born? 60. 60. How old did we see last time was Isaac when Abraham died? Remember? Uh, let me just tell you. How old was Isaac when Abraham passed away? We talked about Abraham's death last week. He was 40 when he got married. He was 75. Remember, Abraham died at 175. Abraham had Isaac at 100. Isaac was 75. So for 15 years, Abraham got to hang out with his grandkids, Esau and Jacob. Now you can imagine, I, I just get this picture of Esau and Jacob sitting on granddaddy's lap. And what is granddaddy telling them about, you wonder? He's telling them about this God that brought me out of my family's land. And look up at the stars, boys. You see all those stars? God said that our descendants are going to be as, as numerous as those stars. And, and look over at the land. You see, as far as you can see that way and as far as you can see that way, God promised us that our descendants are going to have this land. And God has given us this promise, this heritage. He's told us that all the nations of the world is going to be blessed through our line. He, Abraham told no. No doubt he told his grandkids they'd probably grown up hearing all this and he died when they were 15 or 16 and so Esau knew he was he looked like the man's man he looked like the one that was going to get it he had the favor of his dad which is the one who gives the blessing uh, to the firstborn son and by right he was the firstborn son so by tradition and by right he had the um, he had the right to uh, the inheritance of being the firstborn but this little episode happens in verse 29 it says and Jacob sawed pottage which means he, he cooked stew and Esau came from the field and he was faint which means he was the word means he was falling out from being hungry and Esau said to Jacob feed me I pray thee with that same red pottage for I am faint therefore his name was called Edom the word Edom means red and so he says feed me with that red is what it says and so they called him he got him a nickname Edom and means red he's going to be the king of the Edomites later on uh, and Jacob said sell me this day thy birthright now that sounds like I mean you can almost hear 
the click of the trap. He's trying to entrap him. It would be like, I mean, this would literally be like if if Beth here had a $100 bill and I had a 50 cent piece and I said, would trade me your $100 bill for this 50 cent piece? You'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not going to, that's stupid. That's stupid. But here's the thing. Esau is probably thinking like so many of us would and do. I've heard this stuff about promise and blessing and all this mess my whole life. What good is that doing me? What good is it going to do me? You know, Esau was following after what so many people follow after today. He just wanted his own comfort, his own pleasure, his own whatever. In this case, it was to get my belly full. He wanted his own, and, and he was he was just fine and dandy to sell off whatever future inheritance or spiritual blessings or heritage or promises that were be given to his family. He's more than happy just to sacrifice all that so I can have comfort right now. So I can be happy right now. So I can feed this God of self. If you ask me, that's what Esau's problem was. His problem was his God, little g God, wasn't the true God. It was self. It was his own self. As long as I can get mine done. As long as I can be happy. As long as I can, as long as I can have what I want. You see it so often today, people sacrifice everything in eternity, everything in the spiritual kingdom, everything in service for God or serving the kingdom of God or living for God so I can live for myself. So I can be happy. I can be comfortable. I can have what I need to have. I mean, you hear it over and over again. You just don't understand how busy I am. I don't have time for that. You know, we don't have time to come meet with the fellowship of the saints because we're too busy having fun. We're too busy going here. We're too busy doing this. We're too busy doing that. We got all kind of things and it could be anything from kids sports to going fishing to going shopping to cutting the grass you know working on the house it could be anything it could be anything that uh, that takes our time it takes our energy away from serving God I'm not saying that you should never you know if there's something going on you should never ever miss church or something like that what I am saying is you should live your life someone should look at you and they should be able to see that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in that person's life. Yes, maybe, you know, maybe something comes up and this you're not able to go to this or do that or, or to be exactly what you need to be at this moment, but the whole movie of your life, someone who does not know you could come and watch you for a week and say, I can tell you for sure that Jesus Christ is the most important per thing in that person's life, the most important person in that, in that person's life. People don't live like that. They don't, they don't look at their... They want what they can touch and feel and taste right now, and they don't invest themselves in the spiritual life. They don't invest themselves in the righteousness of Christ or the service of Christ or the kingdom of Christ. We do the same thing. If I said to you, sell me your eternity, sell me your birthright for a bowl of stew, we're going to see that it didn't even have meat in it. It was just vegetable stew. Lentils. Yeah, lentils, beans. Didn't even have meat in it. So you would say that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. How stupid could Esau have been? But people are doing it. People here are doing it day in and day out. Why? Because it's easy. You don't think of it that way. Jacob... 
for all his badness and all his sin, all his wicked ways, he had his mind set on the promise, the inheritance, the the blessing is what they call it. I want the blessing of Isaac. I want the blessing of my father. He had his eyes set on it. Esau didn't have his eyes set on anything but having fun, doing what I want to do, getting what I can get. And so when he came in, he said... Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. He was really not at the point to die or otherwise he'd be laid out. Uh, And another thing, do you think that this was the only bowl of stew in the whole camp? Like they have 400 something uh, servants, 300 soldiers that went with Abraham to fight. Do you think this was the only bowl of stew that Esau could find? He said, what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, I'm not taking your word for it. You're going to swear to me this day. And he swore to him to take an oath like that meant to get down on your knees and and swear by the name of God that you are giving away your birthright. So it wasn't just like a passing. Yeah, I gave my birthright. Give me the book. It's, this was almost ritualistic. I swear by the name of Yahweh that I am giving away my birthright. And so I, this thing is so scary here at the end. He, so Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And look at what Esau did. Look at these four verbs. It says he ate, he drank, he rose up. And he went his way. I don't know how long it took him, but it's five minutes to eat this bowl of stew. And he, there wasn't, not even a hesitation of remorse or anything. You know, what did I just do? Cool. Thanks for the bowl. See you later. And he was out. And you don't hear anything else about it. Doesn't care. Doesn't nothing. Until the day that it comes time for him to inherit the blessing and Jacob again deceives and steals it. He comes in to his father's room. We're going to read that in chapter 27. He comes in and his father had already given the blessing to Jacob. And Esau wails. It says he gave an exceedingly great cry. It wasn't just like, oh, daddy. I mean, he wails. Isn't there a blessing for me? Isaac says, no. And this story, let me flip over real quick. We got just a few more minutes. Hebrews chapter 12. This story applies in our spiritual life. This is not just some application that I'm making. You know, Jason's just taking this uh, Old Testament story and he's trying to apply it to us when it's really about the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews applies this story to us. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm just going to read verses 15 through 17. Let's read 14. In Hebrews, he's warning the Hebrew Christians. They're, they're going through persecution. They're going through all kind of suffering. And they're, they're starting to turn back into their old ways, turn back into Judaism, turn back into the law and all that kind of stuff. He's warning them not to do that. And he's telling them that Jesus is better than the tabernacle and the priests and the temple and all those things. He says in verse 12 or verse 14 of chapter 12, he says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently. Diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. He's warning them not to go back into the law. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby by this root of bitterness many be defiled. He said lest there be, he's listing the things, the troubles that they may fall into. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. The word profane means godless. 
He says, unless there be any profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how after that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, when he desired to have the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Carefully means then he cared about it. Then he wanted it. And he sought it with tears. But it was given. It was given to Jacob. It was too late. It was too late. And so... The application that I see that we that, that we can draw from from this uh, from this deal here is that we live. It's easy for us just to put one foot in front of the other and live our days uh, reacting to things. It's easy just to live moment by moment. You know, I got to go to work today, and so I'm going, and I go and do my thing, and, and that's that. We all have to go to work. We all have to do our life. You know, so I'm not saying don't do that, but it's easy just to get sucked in and just go walking down the path without any kind of idea about where we're going or any kind of plan or purpose or anything. We're just reacting acting to things that happen. We're living moment by moment, day by day. And the reality is when we do that, when we, when we fail to focus ourselves and our purpose on Christ and on Him, I'm not saying go be a preacher, go be a missionary or something like that. I'm talking about living to living to serve Christ, living to uh, hunger and thirst after His righteousness, living to be in relationship with Him, seeking after Him, following after Him, doing His will, learning about Him, being you know, spending time with him. When we fail to do that, we are trading away. We're trading away our spiritual inheritance. We're trading it away for stuff that don't matter. I mean, I told him this this morning. Think about this, and then we'll leave. You, the average average age that you're going to die is 72 around there. Some people live to 90 something. Some people die at 50 something. So it's just the average. 72 years, if that's the average, is about 2.3 billion seconds. You're going to live a total of around average 2.3 billion seconds. The seconds that are clicking by. That's what I mean by that. Now, most of us in here, and we ain't really spring chickens, uh, I'm 44, and so... Half of that's gone. Half of that's gone. So I'm not going to live for another 2 billion seconds. 1 billion seconds is 32 years. I'll be doing good if I live another billion seconds. Right now they're clicking by. I'll be doing good if I live another billion seconds. 1 billion minutes. 1 billion minutes is 1,902 years. Nobody on the face of the earth ever in the history of mankind has lived for two billion minutes. Ever. Even Methuselah. He, he lived about half that. Like 968 years. How many order? Nobody is going to live for a billion minutes. So my question is, really, when we look at this, how many seconds do you got left, really? I mean... I'm 44. If I live to the average, which is 72, 75, right in there somewhere, maybe a bit, maybe a billion seconds left in my life, and they're clicking by even as I'm talking. Your watch, the second hand on your watch is clicking by. Here's the point: 
Do you want to trade eternity? Do you want to trade? Let's not just say, even if you're born again, let's say, do you want to trade investing in eternity? For that billion seconds you got left here, life is but a vapor. I mean, do you really want to invest that? Do you want to sell your birthright for a bowl of stew? And so that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point of what we're seeing here is he sold his birthright. He despised his birthright for something that don't matter at all. A stupid bowl of stew. Y'all with me? Any questions, comments? Kenneth? When you say he lost his inheritance, are we talking about the gifts that we put in heaven as we do God's work? We're trading off those? Well, when we're talking about...